Thursday, April 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kretzman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Thursday, gentlemen. Man, it's one more day. Good right? to be here. Um, we've, you know, we've got the earnings bus that's driving along. So we're going to talk uh, United Health. Uh, we've got some hot IPOs that are happening. I love it when we have hot IPOs. Panera Bread surprising a lot of investors today. We will get into that. But let's start with Netflix. Shares up 14% and hitting a brand new all-time high. And there are a lot of numbers, David, anytime Netflix reports their quarterly earnings. But it seems like the most important number, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like the most important number is the number of new subscribers they added, which was nearly 5 million. That surprised a lot of people. Were you surprised? I I think this is something that we've kind of come to expect with Netflix. I mean, yeah, they added 4.9 million new members globally. Uh, their service, they're also uh, improving retention of members. So they have the original content. They have more and more licensing deals. We're able to bring in more content onto the platform. So that's attracting and retaining more members. And I mean, they did beat their own forecast of 4.1 million members. So they almost they they basically brought in 800,000 more members than they were forecasting. So. Uh, no, a pleasant surprise, but I mean, I, I think this is something that we've come to to expect from Netflix up to this point. You know, Jason, Netflix for a long time, maybe not long time, for a few years, uh, certainly the, the original programming they've done, starting with House of Cards, they've gotten a lot of critical acclaim. They've won some awards, and while that surprised people that oh my gosh, you know, a, a non-television network won a television award, that sort of thing, the awards are nice. But if you're not bringing in new subscribers, that's all they are. <laughs> yeah. And so the fact that they're they're they've got the critical acclaim, they've got the awards, and they're backing it up with millions of new subscribers. I mean, it's it's pretty astonishing. It is, and I mean, you know, I think that's the awards really don't mean much if you're not bringing in subscribers. I think the awards certainly offer up the credibility of the content that they're producing, which which helps bring in more subscribers. And, you know, Netflix, uh, one of the things they mentioned right at the very beginning of the shareholder letter is, uh, it says, more evidence that consumers around the world are embracing the TV, the internet TV revolution. And, and I think those are those are really some key words there to remember, the internet TV revolution. And this is, this is the business that really started that revolution, more or less. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest lessons I I've ever learned from you know in investing, really in regard to Netflix is is you know it seems like with Netflix so many people out there the skeptics out there want to focus more on the challenges and less on the opportunities and I, and I know that was that was the way I looked at it a while back I mean I, I have I have certainly come to change my mind on Netflix and I, I believe it's it's even today still has a tremendous market opportunity at it and and uh, and, and I think that. You know, Reed Hastings is a great example of a leader who, not too terribly long ago, they they made a big blunder, big mistake. You know, with with Quickster and thinking about all that, uh, but he was very quick to learn from that mistake, and and not only did he learn from it, but man, he really made some good decisions in light of that of, of that mistake to get this business going back in the right direction. And uh, I think that's just so important with, with businesses like this. I mean, you see the same kind of thing with Jeff Bezos at Amazon. These are two very customer-focused leaders, right? They're very customer-centric. They want to make sure that their subscribers, that their members, are getting what they want. And so, I think when you have when you have leadership like that, very rarely will, will you see 
those those leadership teams fail because the decisions that they make are all based around that very core philosophy. And I think Netflix continues to make good decisions. Uh, you know, the the original content. It's going to take some time to build that original content out, but it's it's growing. And you know, I mean, for all of the talk about HBO's streaming service that will uh, become available or that is available now, and 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 the challenges that possibly could throw Netflix's way. I don't view it at all like that. I mean, I think all it does is it just adds more fuel to this internet TV revolution uh, fire, so to speak. And and I think that uh, you're going to see plenty of people out there uh, taking advantage of having their HBO subscription, their Netflix subscription, their Hulu subscription. They're going to have Amazon Prime Video. And so it's really really neat to watch the changing of the guard here. I understand skepticism to a point. Uh, particularly when, to use your example, Netflix, Amazon, I think part of the skepticism for upstart businesses has to do just with cash, Dave. It's like, well, look, it's not like they have really deep pockets. How are they generating profits? How you know, how are they going to continually spend? So, again, I get it to a point. But I'm curious, and I, I had asked you to look this up beforehand, what is the short interest on this stock? Uh, right now, because I'm guessing it's smaller than it used to be, but I'm sure that there are still people out there, investors, who are attempting to short Netflix. What is the short interest right now? Yeah, so as of March 31st, those are the most recent numbers, about 5 million shares were short, and that's uh, roughly 8.5% of the float. So you have you know, a, still a decent number of people who are essentially betting against Netflix, at least in the near term. I don't get this at all. <laughs> I, I I I got it. Three, They're regretting that now. Well, three or four years ago, I can see if you are someone who's inclined to short a stock, and all you have to do is look at a, a chart of Netflix in any sort of given twelve-month period, and it's a little bit of a roller coaster. Certainly, over the last twelve months, it's been a roller coaster. And so, hey, if you're brilliant at timing your short selling, I, I you know maybe that's worked out for you. But like I said. I get that four years ago. I don't get it now. I don't see why you would attempt to short this stock and this CEO when it is as established as it is. And I mean, for crying out loud, aren't there better short opportunities plenty, out there? Plenty of better short opportunities. I think a lot of that has to do with overconfidence and, and hubris. And, and I mean, like to me, when I, I think about shorting, I mean, I don't short just because it's just not really in my. It's not really in my nature. I just feel like there are easier ways to do it. But but yeah, if you're going to short a stock, this has got to be like the, the one at the bottom of the list. Like this one, Amazon. I mean, you just, just there's some companies you just don't short. Just this walk away. One. Yeah, <laughs> just don't don't participate. If you you feel that confident, I mean, I, I personally, I think if you're short Netflix, I think you're nuts because I don't see this is, this business is not going away. And as long as Reed Hastings is at the helm there. I mean, I, th- this is this has still got a lot of room to grow. And Jason, going back to what you had mentioned of Reed Hastings and Netflix and other companies like Amazon being so customer centric, a natural extension of that is that these companies are quickly able to evolve beyond yeah. what what they might be today. So ten years ago, Netflix was basically just a DVD business. That's what people perceived it as. Then they moved into streaming. Now the DVD business. You know, it's dropping. You know, sixteen percent a year, and now Netflix is making their own their own TV shows. They're starting their own movies. Ten years ago, five years ago, even you probably couldn't predict where Netflix would be today. And I think that makes it a really dangerous company to short when you have that leadership that is uh, has made it really clear that 
our business is going to look a lot different in five years. It's just not not a business I would ever feel comfortable uh, trying to short. And David, you and I were talking about this recently with regards to uh, discovery. Uh, networks. Mm-hmm. But just if you look at it from the standpoint of the content creators, the the showrunners, the directors, the writers, the actors, they have so many choices. They have so many more options of what they can do. So from a creative standpoint, it's wonderful for them. Now, from a business standpoint, once upon a time, if you know, go back 20, 30 years, you get a, a, a deal with one of the big broadcast networks, well, there's probably a pretty hefty payday. What you're getting now with Netflix, with 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 Amazon Prime, with the FX networks, with Discovery, you're not getting as a creator. You're not getting the big paycheck right up front. You're getting everything else. You're getting all the creative control you can imagine, and it's beautiful from Netflix's standpoint because when you're a content creator, when you're paying for it, you're in the hits business. And let's face it, House of Cards is a hit. Orange is the New Black is a hit. But, you know, Lillehammer, not so much a hit, you know, that sort of thing. So it's the sort of thing where they can not pay a lot of money up front. And then when the creators of House of Cards say, hey, guess what? It seems like this did pretty well. You want season two or season three, you're going to have to pay more money. Well, you know, it's a much safer bet for Netflix to make. Yeah, and you you have to realize too that Netflix has a lot of valuable data of what people watch when they watch it, <laughs> all, all sorts of viewing patterns. They have that data, and they can use that data to then uh, influence what type of content they produce. So it's really a virtuous cycle where you can see, okay, what are our sub- our subscribers watching? What are they enjoying? What are they engaged with? Let's make more content like that that will appeal to them and keep them in that Netflix ecosystem. So it's a really powerful uh, cycle. Yeah, I think uh, just just to to sort of uh, tag on with that one there. I, I feel like it's going to be really interesting here over the next you know decade really to watch all of these streaming providers bidding for that content, right? Because you're you're right. I mean, once once a team gets a chance to get one season of a show out there and it's deemed a hit, they get a little bit more leverage in the in the, in the negotiating table, uh, you know, for for years to come. It's going to be interesting to see kind of HBO and, and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon kind of. Bid against each other because I think we saw it play out with with uh, Seinfeld here recently, where uh, you know Netflix had just signed uh, a big uh, deal to to put Friends on their platform, um, and then Seinfeld is, is apparently in play here. And uh, it, at whatever point, you know, Netflix just politely declined; they passed, and now it's it's something where you're going to see you know, Amazon or Hulu or something like that probably get it, and it's going to be a very pretty penny uh, once it's all said and done. Yeah, i got to believe that the, the content producers here, the, the guys and girls with the ideas, are, are they, they've got to feel really good about their future. First quarter profits for United Health up 28%, revenue up around 13%. Uh, Jason, this is the largest health insurer in the United States, and with the stock up another 4% today, it's getting even larger. Yes, this is a very <laughs> this is a very very big company that does a lot of things, and I, I think uh, most people probably when they hear the words health insurance, they, they nod probably off. kind of yeah either doze <laughs> off or they or they just are really turned off. It's not something that elicits a lot of uh, you know happy thoughts, but I, I think that investors in United Health have to be feeling pretty good about things. Uh, this is a stock advisor recommendation from back in two thousand and two and two thousand and four. Uh, both recommendations are beating the market handily, and I, and I don't really see that changing for the most part because health insurance is so so much about scale. I mean, scale is so crucial here, and, and United Health certainly has it. 
uh, for the quarter, medical the medical care ratio was down about 100 basis points from last year. And the medical care ratio is uh, medical costs divided by premium revenue. Uh, for for those out there wondering what that ratio actually means, um, you know, I, I think that the interesting thing about United Health was the recent acquisition of Catamaran. And that catamaran acquisition, catamaran is a pharmacy benefit manager, and that's going to bring more, uh, more, really more revenue, more services into United Healthcare's um, sort of overall ecosystem there. And when you look at just the general uh, demographics in play here, I mean, it's some interesting numbers out there. The population of 65 years and older, <clears throat> excuse me, in the United States is expected to more than double between now and 2060. Now, 2060, yes, that's very long-term thinking, but you know that's what we're all about here anyway. So, <laughs> uh, but but I mean, you know, it's it's not all going to happen at once. That's that's obviously something that just kind of happens year in year out. And and the population of uh, 85 and older is expected to triple in that same time. So I mean, you can only see. You know the the spending in healthcare really growing, and a company like United Health, I think, is poised to really uh, benefit from that and and make a lot of money for investors in the process. Shares of Panera Bread up eleven percent this morning on the news that the company is increasing its share buyback plan by seven hundred fifty million dollars. Someone thinks this is a good idea, um, you know, and and this is a stock long term that's done really well. But over the last couple of years, this has been losing to the market. What do you think? You think you think they got it right this time? Kind of on the fence with Panera right now. You know, for a while I was really uh, a fan of the business and 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 what Ron Shake was doing. Uh, it seems as time goes on, though, you know, we ever since sort of that mosh pit. Moment. That was about a year ago, wasn't it? it, That you got the CEO of Panera Bread coming out saying what uh, certainly a lot of customers knew, which is that the the experience when you go into a Panera Bread is kind of like a mosh pit. It's it's certainly the ones in the DC area that I've been to where you're ordering in one place, you're you're picking up your food in another. It's not. It's not streamlined. It's it's no. in some ways it's the opposite of Chipotle, where it's just yeah. like there's one line, get in it, we'll move you through it as quickly as possible. And I, I mean, I, I recently went into a Panera. It was very much the same experience. Like to me, it hasn't changed, and that that to me is is concerning on a number of levels because if they're you know really claiming to to be be working on that and they feel like they're succeeding at it, well, I'm I'm not sure that they necessarily are. Um, I like the the fact that they built the app. That's a, a good digital presence to have there. Uh, I like the loyalty card. It certainly keeps people, you know, keeps Panera, you know, at, at the forefront of people's of, of consumers' minds. But but again, I mean, I feel like they they are just missing out on the the store experience. And you know, one of the plans here, they're going to refranchise for anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty stores, which essentially means they're going to take corporate owned stores and, and and make them franchises. And, and you know, ultimately, right now it's about a fifty fifty split. Uh, franchise and company owned. It seems like it's going to be more franchised than company owned as time goes on. And, and that, to me, that just tells me they're going to have a tougher time than ever really controlling that customer experience. And so, with that in mind, I mean, I, I have to at least wonder. Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the buyback program—they're—they're they're going in debt to fund that. I mean, it's going to, you know, make earnings per share look a little bit better, and that's fine. But. I'm not sure that the organic the organic growth is is there that I I once thought might be. Yeah, but, I'm not I'm not sure if this is the best investment the company can be making at this point. Because yeah. to your point, Jason, <laughs> I feel like the customer experience still there's a lot to be desired there. So to go into debt to buy back stock when 
over the past couple of years, they've bought back about 11% of shares outstanding. The stock hasn't really done that well since then. So I think up to this point, it's tough to look at that and say, hey, that was a really smart investment uh, yeah. when, when the customer experience is still lagging. So I question, especially going into debt to buy back shares, I'm just not sure if this is the best use of cash for the company at this point. So we have uh, right across the street from our office a, a brand new Panera. And it is which I've yet to use, by the way. Oh, I'm me so I've not been there yet. I mean, I'm kind of surprised I haven't, but I just haven't. Uh, I think you might be. <laughs> I think you might be in the minority because I've I've sure used it a bunch of times. And certainly, a lot of our colleagues have done it. And it is it is different in this regard. It is very focused on pickup and delivery. So you place your order online. Your whatever your order is is ready in 15 minutes or less. And so it's I find it convenient to just. Place an order online. Ten minutes later, walk out the door, and I've already paid for it. I'm, there's a bag with my name on it. I pick it up. I, you know, but I, I would understand what's happening with the stock more if we had had some news from Ron Shake or someone at the company that put the company a couple steps further down the line towards this re making of the interior of the restaurants that Sheikh was talking about when he made the mosh pit comment. He was talking about, we need to redo our restaurants. And if a week ago or even today, it was, you know what, we've tested out and 10% of our locations are now this fast pickup and delivery and they're doing gangbusters and our throughput is 20% higher than the other. You know, if there was something, I would understand the stock being up 11% or more. Otherwise, I just sort of look and go, okay, someone is taking a little bit of a flyer and taking Panera's word for it that they that they themselves at Panera are timing this perfectly. That they're looking at their stock, saying, "Well, it's cheap. It's it it really hasn't moved anywhere in a couple of years, and so now's the time to buy." Yeah, I mean, the the stock is toward the lower end of its uh, price to earnings ratio range over the past five years, so. Using that that one multiple, and you you don't want to only use that, but using that one multiple, it, it does look toward the cheaper end of things. But then you could also argue argue, well, maybe the stock's cheap for a reason because the company hasn't been been doing that well. But I don't know. Th- this makes me nervous that uh, this share repurchase is more a short term move to appease shareholders rather than management saying, "Hey, <laughs> our stock just looks like a crazy bargain right now that we need to take advantage of." For me. It's more on the spectrum, like, hey, people are frustrated <laughs> with the stock. Let's let's give them this move. This might keep people uh, satisfied for a little bit longer. But I, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But right now, I'm I'm a little bit cautious here. I'm with David there. I mean, I think this is more a move to appease investors in Wall Street than it is. It's working actually. today. It is. You're <laughs> so right. Far, so but I mean, <laughs> I mean, as you mentioned, really, the stock has has done nothing over the past year, um, and and ultimately, yeah, I think you have to question: is is this really the best use of their of their money, I would argue, no, it's not. Especially when you're going into debt, too. Yeah. Uh, we will get to the hot IPOs in just a second, but a couple of things before we do that. Uh, first, Jason, you are periscoping this episode of Market Foolery. Is that the right? Did I just use look the up, right word? Yeah, look up at the camera we've, right there. We've got for for those unfamiliar, for listeners who are unfamiliar with Periscope, what is it? Periscope is an app that offers uh, live video streaming. So this is the thing that Twitter. Twitter, yeah, Twitter bought Periscope a, in about a one hundred million dollar acquisition. Yeah, I think they purchased it in like January or something. Kept it kind of under under wraps for a little while, and then right about the time South by Southwest 
uh, hit. And David, you were out there for that. Yeah, I was out there. Um, was I'm sure you deal. probably heard Meerkat. Meerkat was twice. huge. And Meerkat was really the name that uh, that brought this sort of whole live video streaming thing to 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 the, to the public. I mean, that's how everybody kind of found out about it. But Periscope. Uh, quickly, you know, Twitter sort of jumped in with Periscope and, and developed it and and uh, released it. So it's a separate app that lives outside of, of the Twitter universe, but it is a Twitter-owned property. And um, it, it's just it's neat to think about the implications of this. I mean, anywhere from like what we're doing here with live streaming a, a market foolery, it, which incidentally it will then save this and you could go and view it later. So you know, I don't think Meerkat actually has that capability right now. Hmm. Meerkat doesn't uh, save things and store them, or at least they didn't. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I have to believe, like with, with now with Twitter and with with you know Periscope, you have to feel like these news organizations out there, media organizations, have to have to feel more threatened now than ever before because this really does make anyone and everyone a journalist. I mean, you're you're driving home and you see a house on fire. I mean, you could sit there and pull out your phone and just start live video streaming the whole thing right there. For people to see and and get the word out and, and it, it just to me the the implications of this would be fascinating to watch. I mean, sports is another one where uh, I, I I saw an article maybe it was last week where I think it was New York Yankees were talking about um, you know if if they catch people in the stadium live streaming a game that they would be dealt with appropriately. Oh yeah. Now I, I mean I can't help but feel like. They're missing the boat there. I mean, you're you're going to control a stadium full, you know, thirty, forty thousand people. Good luck with all that. I mean, I, I think your better bet is to try to figure out how you can join it instead of trying to beat it. Because to me, uh, this is something that, as time goes on, I, I think the popularity and it will grow. But we'll see, see, that's what I was thinking. I went to the sports networks. I think if I'm CBS and we were talking about the Masters recently, yeah. like you know, I I do not want people live streaming. You know, f- fans who are following Jordan Spieth around the links. I don't want that if I'm CBS. <laughs> and and I No you do not. <laughs> and I'm if I'm the ma- you know I want my partners at Augusta National to help me control that. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's going to be fun yeah. to watch. Shake oh, out. One more thing I got to mention um, uh, is is Motley Fool Rule Breakers because we talk from time to time about Stock Advisor, which is our flagship service. But David is one of the people who works on Motley Fool Rule Breakers, which is really our growth stock service. Um, and just like Stock Advisor, it's a service you can subscribe to. Um, you can go to rb.fool.com uh, for more information. You get uh, If you're interested in growth stocks, you get recommendations every month. You get a, a website just for members, uh, a lot of great content. It's uh, headed up by David Gardner, one of our co-founders. So, you can go to rb.fool.com. I'll actually include that link in the, in the description of this episode. But uh, I, was, I was saying to you guys before, and I recently got an email from, uh, and I, I, you know, you get on email lists and, and I don't know, you get, you get stuff sent to you. <laughs> so, I, so I, got, I got an email and it was um, an, a rival investing service. Uh, and I'm not going to say the name, but it was. But it looked. It, I, I got curious. I started clicking around. Like, oh, and it was basically like, hey, you might be interested in this investing service, similar s- to w- what we offer here at the Motley Fool. And it was, you get stock recommendation, and it looked very professional and great. And then I looked at the price, and my jaw dropped because it was literally three times as expensive as Motley Fool Rule Breakers. And I just thought, oh wow, wow. I. I 
I wonder how that's working out for you because uh, I, I know I know what we charge and now I know what you charge and holy cow I can't believe you're getting people to pay that much money but good luck did if you, you are. Did you what kind of a track record this this organization had or did they was it even I I, I did not I did not look at the uh, I did not see that there was a track record. Uh, but, I mean I'll say I think when you look at the stock advisor and rule breakers out there I mean those are some tremendous values you get a lot of mm-hmm. bang for your buck with the services a lot of great ideas and. A lot of extra content and education and uh, amusement. And they've been going for 10-plus years, yep. too. Doing something right. Two fun IPOs going on at this very moment. Uh, and let's face it, some IPOs are more fun than others. <laughs> uh, Party City is going public today, and Etsy is going public. And uh, both stocks up on the IPO, probably not all that big a surprise. Uh, I just saw online that, that Etsy's uh, more than doubled off of its IPO, which is... <laughs> Management sitting there kicking themselves in the butt right now. They're yeah. like, God, I can't believe we left that much money on the table. Yeah, left left a lot of money on the table. But um, l- let's just go to these real quick. Obviously, David, with the caveat that for the most part, we don't like to jump into IPOs because it's different being a public company than it is a private company. You... you Got to get your sea legs. You have to deal with a lot more. Um, I got this off of Etsy's website. This is how Etsy describes itself. Etsy is a marketplace where people around the world connect, both online and offline, to make, sell, and buy unique goods. Boy, that sounds a lot like eBay <laughs> and Craigslist. And so, I don't know what uh, any any long term uh, predictions for for Etsy. That's a t- you know, having having spent part of this podcast praising um, Netflix, um, and uh, you know, taking a couple of shots at, at people who continue to doubt them, uh, Etsy's kind of in that same space where it's like, wow, you're going in against some really established, entrenched businesses. I think the struggle for Etsy, and this is a company I've only researched a little bit up to this point, but it's one I'm, I'm curious to look into more. I, I think the struggle for them is, you know, they start as uh, a platform for smaller uh, craftspeople, so people who are do- just doing crafts in their home, r- small businesses. But as they get bigger, then uh, their clients also want to get bigger. So it's like, okay, how how can you expand without becoming, you know, quote unquote, corporate? Uh, and I think up to this point, that's sort of been a challenge for them. They they've done pretty well, from my understanding. But that'll be the challenge for them. How scalable is this platform? Because you don't want to punish uh, th- the people who are selling goods on your platform if they begin to to grow really big, but at the same time, you don't want to squash people who are just selling, you know, a few pillows here and there, or something else. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach scaling that platform. I think that's really the big question for them going forward. It seems like a very niche business. You know, we talk about these these e-commerce businesses that are that are changing the world. And I was looking through their S one and, and looking for their mission. Their mission is to reimagine commerce in ways that build a more fulfilling and lasting world. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, man. That sounds like a bunch of hot air. I don't really get it. I mean, to me, that just is—it uh, sounds kind of artistic, you know. So I'm not sure. I'm not saying this is a bad company by any means. I don't know that that the the market opportunity necessarily is there, uh, particularly to justify the the valuation because I believe the IPO had it valued at somewhere around 1.8 billion. With the stock move today, I mean, that's you know somewhere around four billion, if, if that's correct, and. Is is this really a four billion dollar business? I mean, they in two thousand and fourteen they generated one point nine three billion in gross merchandise sales. Now that wasn't their revenue. Their revenue was one hundred ninety six million, and they are <laughs> they are unprofitable. Um, 
you know, I, my, my wife has used Etsy before, and, and so I asked her her opinion on this. You know, any thoughts on the Etsy IPO? And she was kind of lukewarm, you know. She, she's, it's a neat site, but I don't know that it's anything for the masses. And I think that's really the biggest question is, what's the market opportunity with this company? Is it really, is it really even worth looking at? I don't know about the stock, but I do actually enjoy Party City. It's a business. <laughs> I've gone to Party City. It's a fun store. And it's, you know, bring my kids in there and, you know, Halloween costumes and <laughs> helium blue. That was also a great quote from Party City uh, CEO who said, you know, Amazon's great, but uh, they can't deliver uh, helium balloons. No, they can't. They cannot. Or <laughs> they I don't think they can. Wide moat there. Amazon yeah. can deliver flowers. I guess I didn't realize that until uh, like a week ago. They but can, if you ever actually. want to get flowers, yeah. you just go to Amazon and, and have, them, have it done there. Um, yeah, Party City. I guess it's one place I go maybe once or twice a year. But but you're right. It's it's you you need to go there. It's that's like the one place you know you're going to be able to get what you what you want for a party. If, if it's not there, I mean, where is it going to be? Well, yeah, and particularly if you're doing anything with with your kids, where it's just like, okay, well, look, here are all the options. What do you want? And any time of year, they've got they've got obviously they have seasonal stuff, but you know, New Year's, Halloween costume. Twenty four seven, they've got all that stuff. So you know what this made me think of was you know wasn't that that long ago that Berkshire Hathaway purchased Oriental Trading Company, yeah. which is I, I I think it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the just, online, it's the catalog version of yeah, it's a tchotchke store and it's a party supply store, right? And and so I mean, no, the stuff they're selling doesn't have lasting value, but it's very purpose oriented, right? And and you know, it's it's not like it's expensive stuff, so they generate a lot of uh, of. Repeat business because that's just the name that people know. I'll be interested to see Party City uh, if they if they have an e-commerce business and if so, how they develop it. I think what's cool about uh, Party City is that they I read they design and manufacture about seven thousand new products a year, and about seventy percent of the goods that they sell they create on their own. So that that's something that's not easily replic- you know, replicated by an Amazon or another bricks and mortar retailer. So. When I first heard about Party C, because I'd never been to one of the the stores, I was wondering, is there much of a moat there? But uh, just given the fact that they have such a wide selection and that they create a lot of their own goods, there might be something to the company. You got to go because there's always a reason to party. Absolutely. And, you, and, and today, the reason? <laughs> our CEO's birthday. So happy birthday to Tom Gardner, oh, wow. our CEO. Happy birthday, happy boss. Birthday. Happy birthday, TG. David Kretzman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.